0: As we begin this morning, let us think about families. One thing I think we can all agree upon is that all families are different. I think children may be able to attest to this the best when you spend a day at your friend's house or maybe you sleep overnight. You can see that the other family eats different things. They talk in different ways and they do different things. Parents and children interact in different ways than you may interact with your parents. The disciplining of one family may be completely different than the disciplining of another family. What you do on holidays and where you spend them may be different than another family you know. And we may even see how differently other families value and center on God. As we come to our passage this morning in 1 Samuel Our focus is on fathers, but even more so, I want to focus on the relationship between parents and their children. We turn to the book of 1 Samuel, which starts out in what I'd say is a very unique way. We're presented with two family dynamics, two completely different families. So if you're not there already, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll kind of be back and forth in between chapter 2 and chapter chapter 3 this morning. Uh, but first, I'd like to start off presenting to you these two family dynamics in the book of 1 Samuel. In chapter 1, we're introduced to a woman named Hannah. is married to a man named Elkanah, and Hannah's at the forefront of this story in chapter 1. She's barren, so she has no children up to this point. We see she prays to God for a son and promises to dedicate him to the service of God for his whole life. She keeps this promise, and when she brings this child uh, to the temple, uh, she hopes that this child will grow and and mature and serves God faithfully. And we see this happen. Samuel's brought to the temple, and he grows, and he matures, and he serves God faithfully day after day in the temple at Shiloh. This son Samuel, as we would see later on in the book of 1 Samuel, he becomes the prophet of Israel. He anoints two kings of Israel— Saul and David. So we see from the family of Hannah that Hannah exhibits an amazing commitment to the Lord by nurturing and directing her son to serve the Lord. The second family of this two family dynamics is the family of Eli. And we're introduced to them in chapter one, but also we see more fully in chapter two that this is the priest Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And if we compare them or even contrast them to Hannah and her family, we can see that this family dynamic could be no more different than Hannah and Samuel. Eli and his sons represent a picture of a failure in a father and son relationship. The author of 1 Samuel presents to us what I would say is an awful example of a father and son relationship in Eli and his sons. And this morning, we're going to take a look specifically at Eli and his sons and draw away from their relationships lessons that can be learned about God's call on both parents and their children. So in chapter 1, we're introduced to the priest Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And in chapter 1, we are told that Eli is a priest of Israel. This is the first time he's mentioned within the scriptures, and he interacts with Hannah on several occasions. He is there when she prays for a child, and he accuses her of drunkenness. We see that he sends her away, saying that, the, that God would grant her a child, and Eli is there when she presents Samuel to be dedicated to God for his life. In chapter 2, we learn more about Eli's son, two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. If you look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. So is presented as a godly man. All right? Though he falsely accuses Hannah of drunkenness when she was pouring herself out to the Lord, I think we kind of get the picture that he seems to submit to the authority and the sovereignty of God and directs young Samuel in his temple service. But his sons, on the other hand, are presented as worthless men, not knowing the Lord. And from verse 12, this means that they were wicked, they were sinful, and they were ungodly men, not having a relationship to the Lord at all. And them not knowing the Lord simply means that they did not care about the things of the Lord and they did not submit to him or his authority. Further in chapter 2, we are given specific examples of the priest's corrupt service to God at the temple in the sins they committed, showing their wickedness. If you look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, we get the first example of their sins, starting at verse 13. It says, The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So I think several things are wrong with this picture. First, we can see that the priests did not follow the laws of God regarding sacrifice. And we see this in two ways. First, we see that they ate whatever portion they pulled out with a fork rather than only eating what God had given them. And it's important to realize that God had made provisions for the priests. So the priests would make the sacrifices, but God allowed them to eat some of the sacrifice. If you could turn with me to Leviticus chapter 7, just a few books before 1 Samuel. Leviticus chapter 7, verses 31 through 36, I'd like to look at the specific law to see how the sons of Eli were sinning by eating whatever they'd like. So, Leviticus chapter 7, verses 31 through 36. It says, The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings, and I have given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons as perpetual due from the people of Israel. And this is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offerings. From the day they were presented to serve as priests of the Lord, the Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel from the day that he anointed them. It is a perpetual due throughout their generations. So simply we're to see here that the priests, Hophni and Phinehas, they were taking whatever they'd like. They told them to take the sacrifice out, and they ate whatever they'd like. And we see here in Leviticus, and other chapters as well show it, that God had made provisions. He had made certain things that the priests were allowed to eat, and we see that these priests, Hophni Hophni and Phinehas, were breaking these laws. A second sacrificial law we see them breaking is in regards to the fat. We see they also did not burn the fat off, but ate that as well. And from Leviticus 7:22 through25, we see that the fat was banned from being eaten. If you could look just a few verses uh, before in chapter seven, Leviticus chapter seven verses 22 through25. It reads: the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the people of Israel saying, you shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat. The fat of an animal that dies of itself and the fat of one that is torn of be- by beasts may be put to any other use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood, whatever, whether of fowl or of animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whatever eats any, whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. So the first thing that we can see wrong in this passage that Hophni and Phineas are doing is that they did not regard the sacrificial laws, in that they ate whatever they want, they didn't eat the provisions that God had provided for them, and they also did not burn the fat, but they actually ate of it. Second, what we see is wrong in Hophni and Phinehas' sin is that they forced the other worshipers to do what they said, though it was sin. We see that they're leading the people astray along with them. Third, what we see is wrong is that the ordinary worshipers sought to follow the law more than its leaders did. Remember, Hophni and Phinehas are the priests. They're the spiritual leaders of Israel. So we see they're corrupting the priesthood. And fourth, we see they extremely disrespected God in their greedy and selfish acts. We see this from 1 Samuel 2, 17, which says, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So we see, here we see the first sin of Hophni and Phinehas, in that they sinned in how they sacrificed. If you could turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter. Two, we're going to look at verse 22 to see the second sin of Hophni and Phinehas. So, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. So, we see the first example of their sin is in how they offered sacrifices. The second example of the son's sin is found in verse 22, which says, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So we see here the two sins of Hophni and Phinehas the first regarding the sacrifices the second was that they were sexually immoral, that they slept with the women who served at the tabernacle. So with this context we are presented with a father who submits to the Lord and sons who have rebelled against the Lord. So we've seen who Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas are. Now what I'd like to spend the rest of our time looking at is how Eli and Hophni and Phinehas interacted with each other. So we, we'll answer this question. What did this father-son relationship look like? What did the relationship of Eli and his sons actually look like? And I think to do this, to look fully at this, we need to take three passages together Three passages that are vital to understanding this relationship, and they all three need to be taken to understand what Eli, his relationship was to his sons, and what his son's relationship was to their father. So the first, if you look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, it reads, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So we see several things from this passage. First, we see Eli was aware of of the sins of his sons. Look with me at 1 Samuel 2.22. It says, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. So it seems as if Eli's sons were continuing this sin for years. As we are told first that Eli was very old, and then second, that he continued to hear the sins of his sons. So Eli was not oblivious to his son's sins. He knew of it, and this was not the first time that he was hearing about their sins. And just keep this in the back of your mind as we think about this father and son relationship. We also see from this passage that Eli does confront his sons. If we look at 1 Samuel 2, 23, it says, and he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. So we see that he confronts his sons, and then he questions them for what they've been doing. And we also see Eli presents a proper view of sin. If we look at verse 24, it says, No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? And then we see Eli's sons reject his confrontation. First Samuel 2, 24, the latter half says, But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So we see the disobedience of Eli's sons here. We see that their father instructs them, he confronts them, he rebukes them, and they reject his counsel. They ignore it. And we're given the reasoning for such rejection. And it seems as if the Lord is to blame, as it says, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And we may question, did the sons have no choice? Could they turn from their sin? It kind of seems as if they had no choice. They were doomed. But as it says, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death, we can see that the reason they were doomed, that it was the will of the Lord to put them to death, was because of their own sin. It was because of their own rejection, their own continuous disobedience to the laws of God. That's why it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So we see here from this passage that we see a father confronting his children for their sins. He's calling them out for what he has heard and observed them doing. Though, as we saw in the beginning of this passage, it seems as if Eli had known about their sin for... A while, and even we could probably say he knew about their sin for many years, and he allowed it to keep on going till finally he decided to confront them on it. And we see the children's response. We see Hophni and Phinehas' response in that they were not caring and they were ignoring their father's rebuke and instruction. Look with me at the second passage that we need to take into consideration to see this relationship it's 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 27 through 36. 1 Samuel 2, 27 through 36. And in this passage, we see a prophet of the Lord comes to Eli, and he pronounces judgment on him. We first see that the Lord reminds Eli of the honor he gave his family in being a priest. If you look with me at verses 27 through 28, it says, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. So the Lord starts out this judgment, this pronouncement of the punishment that Eli would get. He starts it out by reminding him of what he had done for his family, the blessing that he had given them for allowing them to be priests. Secondly, we see the Lord rebukes Eli for his parenting. Look with me at verse 29 of chapter 2. It says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? So we see verse 29 condemns Eli and God accuses him of sin. So we may have thought that Eli was doing good by confronting his son in the first passage we looked at, but we see here that God finds fault with him. And this is why the first reason that God finds fault, or the first sin that he finds um, of Eli in his parenting, is that Eli had responsibility over the whole temple of Shiloh, especially over his two sons who were priests under him. Hophni and Phinehas. We see Eli is in the wrong, that he allowed them to continue in sin. In this, God condemns him for honoring them over God and his desires. We could say Eli had his priorities, or even his devotion, out of order, in that he honored his sons over God's desires. But secondly, we see a fault of Eli in that, and we may even say that it's possibly even more of a condemnation in that, Eli took part in the abuse of the consumption of the offerings to the Lord, as God says, by fattening yourselves, including Eli in this sin. Eli was taking part in the disobeying of the law of what was to be eaten regarding the priesthood and sacrifices. We can even see this in that later in 1 Samuel, Eli is said to be heavy. So not only Not only did Eli have responsibility over the temple of Shiloh, not only did he honor his sons, but he actually took part in their sin. And then lastly, we see from this passage, the second passage regarding their relationship, we see the Lord promises to punish Eli's house. If If you look with me at verse 30, and we'll read to verse 36, it says, "'Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever.' But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever." The only one of you, whom I shall not cut off from my altar, shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Verse 34, And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a shore house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever." And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. So we see that God promises to punish Eli and his house. Though he had originally promised that they should serve him forever, because of Eli and his house uh, lack of keeping the covenant with the Lord for despising him, God turned from them. We are told that Eli will be given a sign in verse 34 as it says and this this that shall come upon your two sons Hophni and Phinehas shall be a sign to you both of them shall die on the same day. We're actually going to look at this this evening in 1 Samuel chapter 4 we see this happens very soon after this pronouncement this uh, prophecy that's given and we're going to look at this this evening at in 1 Samuel chapter 4 at Eli's sons being killed because of their sin. And then, in the last half of this passage, we see that God says he will raise up a new man, a new line of priests. We see the full fulfillment of this as we move on in 1 Samuel, as we see, if you know the story, the descendants of Eli are killed at King Saul's command. Though one escapes, whose name was Abathar, but later is expelled from the priesthood, the line that God is talking about here is the line of Zadak. He replaces him. And you don't have to turn there, but 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 26-27 explain this well. It says, And to Abathar the priest the king said, Go to Anathoth to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because you shared in all my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled Abathar from being priest of the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. So from this second passage, thinking about the relationship of Eli to his sons, we see a growing picture of the bad relationships that Eli had to his sons and Hophni and Phinehas had to their father, Eli. So we see it went both ways. The third passage I'd like to look at, the last passage concerning their relationship is 1 Samuel 3, verses 10 through 14. If you could turn to chapter 3 with me, We'll look at verses 10 through 14. And before I read this passage, to give you just a slight context, a very familiar story, this is the calling of the prophet Samuel. And at this time, he's a young boy in the service of Eli. And we see God calls him in the middle of the night. And many of you know this story. He's called three times. He goes to Eli. And finally, after the third time, Eli realizes it's the Lord and directs young Samuel to go to To God when he calls. So that's where we pick up in verse 10. It says, And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall be shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So here again we see God's condemnation, God's punishment taking place due to Eli's not restraining of his sons. And we may say well we do see him rebuking them, but I believe God's talking about earlier. As they continued to sin over the years, Eli never said a word. And then at, later on in his life, when he was very old, he finally said something. So taking these three passages into consideration, I think we can answer the question, what did this father-son relationship look like? What did Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, what did their relationship look like? I believe the scriptures present to us a picture of a failure of a father and son relationship. Beginning with Eli. Eli was a man who served God, one of the highest callings of Israel to be a priest, as God reminds him when he says in chapter 2, verses 27 through 28, he says, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. So God reminds him that he made him a priest. He made his family line priests the spiritual leaders of Israel, a very high calling. And we see Eli's dealings with the boy Samuel as one who guided him in his temple service and was even humble when God pronounced this judgment on him. Eli was a godly man seeking to serve the Lord, but where I think he dropped the ball was in relationship to his sons, in guiding his sons in the ways of God. So Eli was a godly man. He sought to serve the Lord, but he dropped the ball in guiding and directing his sons. We see he failed to lead them and direct them and guide them in the ways of God as he knew of their sin but waited for a while till it was going on for a long time and then confronted them. We think about Eli. He was the high priest at the time. He could have dethroned his sons from service of God rather than honoring God and his law. He honored his sons by letting them go on sinning. Also Eli participated in some sense of their sin as we saw God say by fattening yourselves. Eli was sitting with his sons and eating these sacrificial offerings. So a word to the fathers, a word to, or even more so, to parents. God has given you a role to lead and to guide and to direct your children. So three ways I think that Scripture is challenging us here is first, make it your topmost priority in devotion to honor the Lord with your life. But don't stop there, but pass it along to your children. Provide an example for them, teach them, and show them how to glorify God and do his commandments. Second, I think we can take away from this passage a challenge to the parents to be willing to confront and to address the sin within your children's lives that you see. Not letting it go, not leaving it to be taken care of by someone else, not ignoring it because it's awkward to deal with, to address. God has placed you within their lives to help them walk in the way in which he has commanded them to walk. And that includes pointing out sin in their lives. And a third challenge to the parents from this passage. Do not participate in your children's sin. You are to be set apart from your children, and if they are struggling in an area, do not encourage it or join it. The son's failure. So we looked at Eli, we looked at parents, now we come to the son's failure, and I think it's a lot more obvious from this passage. Their sin is clearly presented, and their rejection of their father's counsel, though late, still could have been taken up. It should have been submitted to and listened to. Yet we are told they would not listen to their father. So a word to the children. You are to listen to your parents. And I ask, how many times have you heard that? I'm sure it's been many a times, but it's true and good. God has established it this way, and if your parents are seeking after the Lord and seeking to direct you in his ways, then their counsel and commands are good. They are looking out for the best of your life. So three challenges to the children in submitting to your parents God-given authority and direction. First, pray that God would give you a mindset to be able to realize and submit to your parents' authority. So we can't do it on our own. We need God's help to submit to our parents. To realize that this is one, this is one way that God uses to mature you in the faith. I think often we think of um, scripture reading, we think of prayer, and that's the ways that we mature in the faith, which are great things. But I think another way in which God is made for us to mature in the faith is by the guidance and by the instruction of our parents. If you do do not do this genuinely, then there will be no continued respect or listening. A second challenge to the children. Hear out what your parents have to say. Don't tune them out, don't ignore them, but spend time around them and hear them out. And third, actually listen to them. You can hear all you want, you can have it go in one ear and out the other, but without actually doing what they say and following their direction, they give, then there is no use. You are not following God's commands. So in conclusion, as we think about and we think back to the beginning, considering the contrast between Hannah and Samuel and Eli and his sons, we're presented with two very different, complete opposite family dynamics. We see Samuel grew in the Lord. We see Hannah had dedicated him to the Lord, seeking for him to live a life pleasing to God. Eli obviously led his fatherly responsibilities given by God, he let him go, and did not direct his sons, but let them do whatever they felt like doing. So we see where they end up. We see Samuel obeys the Lord. He becomes a prophet of God, one who led the people of Israel in spiritual transformation. We see, as I said, he anointed two kings of Israel, Saul and David. And then we see Eli's sons, where they end up. And we see they are punished by God and killed for their disobedience to God. Certainly God has a hand in our lives and he's directing and he's involved in our lives, but I believe one of the main ways of doing so is using the parents to guide and to teach their children and for the children to submit to their parents' direction in God's words. So parents, children, we are given a challenge from God's word today. Will you submit to it? Let us pray together. God, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word this morning, to look into the examples of Eli and his sons, even to think of the comparison of Hannah and Samuel. And God, um, Lord, it's a negative example. It's even a bad example of a parenting relationship between Eli and his sons. But God, uh, may you use it in our lives. May you help us to Um, realize uh, what a parenting and child relationship should look like. God, I pray that you would bless us with the ability, give us the strength to be able to um, submit to how this relationship should look, God. I pray that, Lord, that you would um, allow us to have families that are centered on your word, uh, focused on you, Lord. May you be the center of our conversations, the the center of our thoughts, and even the center of our words, God. I thank you for all things. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this day. May you be with the fathers, and Lord, may we celebrate them and thank them for all that they have done for us. Lord, I thank you for all things, and in your name I pray. Amen.